0: Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ignatius Press Podcast. My name is Paul Sens with Ignatius Press, and I'm joined today by another one of our illustrious authors, Father Mike Schmitz. Father Mike is a a busy man, indeed. He's the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Duluth, that's up there in northeastern Minnesota, as well as the Chaplain for the Newman Center at the University of Minnesota Duluth. He also offers uh, weekly homilies on iTunes and BulldogCatholic.org, and has appeared in programs for youth and young adults through Ascension Press, as well as through uh, regular short video messages on Ascension Presents, which I'm sure many of you have seen. Uh, Many listeners will also, of course, recognize him as the host of the uh, stupendously successful uh, Bible in the Year podcast through Ascension and the upcoming Catechism in the Year podcast, which is premiering January 1st of this coming year. Today, however, Father Mike is joining us to discuss his 2017 book, Made for Love, Same-Sex Attractions in the Catholic Church, which is published jointly by Ignatius Press and the Augustine Institute. Father Mike, welcome and thank you for being with us. Thank you very much,
0: Paul. It's it's good to, to finally talk with you.
1: Yeah, great. All right. So I always like to start off with the story. Tell me a little bit about how this book came to be. Yeah, well, um, wow, that's it's it is
0: it's funny to think. Um, so years ago, uh when I first got into working as a director of youth ministry for our diocese and then also campus ministry, one of the things I found was that there were we had a lot of young people, a lot of uh, high school students who had an encounter with the Lord, like a real encounter with the Lord. They they knew that he, is, that Jesus is who he says he is. They knew that um, he's truly present in the Eucharist. They knew that he founded a church. Like it was this real conversion, not just, you know, and just in motion, but, but a real encounter with the Lord. Um, so that sense of conversion, of encounter, of uh, my mind being transformed and my life being transformed. And of course, we're all fickle and so we can go up and down. But the, there was this common uh, theme and one of those common themes was that when it came up uh, that when this, this young Catholic who had encountered the Lord and and knew the truth to a certain degree would encounter the church's teaching regarding same-sex attraction, it was one of those kind of like all bets are off. never mind, forget this whole thing. And I remember this thinking like, this is just, this is a really big deal. Um, no for myself, this has been something that I've been, I've been praying about and studying and thinking about and kind of talking about a little bit. Um, ever since, I mean, I was quite young, I think, uh, just trying to wrestle with this and grapple with this. Um, So, so then I, I, I I had came to the conclusion basically that, you know, I need to say something about this. So um, there's this net ministries, the national evangelization team that's based out of St. Paul. Uh, They have this thing called lifeline. And so once a month they get a, however many teens uh, together to this one, the net center, the location there, and they said, Father Mike, would you come and present? And I said, Yeah, I'd love to. And they said, well, What would you want to present on? <clears throat> Knowing that this is a reality for so many people, I said, I want to talk about this. And so I gave a talk on same sex attraction in the Catholic Church. And, and uh, I think um, Augustine, or at the time it was um, Lighthouse Catholic Media, um, made it into a CD. And then I think it was someone at Ignatius who had gotten a hold of the CD and said, Hey, would you make this into a, a, a whole book? And I said, that seems like a lot of work. No. <laughs> and they said, no, it really won't be that difficult. And I said, no. And they said, no, really, that won't be that tough. And I said, okay, fine. So then <laughs> expanded that that one talk. It was expanded then into uh, the, the whole
1: book. Great. And and you talked a little bit about this already, but can you say a little, a little bit about, uh, well, this is a, a, pr- a pretty thorny, sensitive issue, you know? Um, Yeah. So is it important to be sensitive to that fact while at the same time firmly and clearly teaching what the church teaches regarding sexuality?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because I think that
0: there's a, there's a, one of the, one of the things that I have encountered is, so in 2012, uh, I was still here on campus. I've been here for quite a while uh, and the Minnesota had a, a, bill, essentially, that was to redefine marriage that was up for a a vote, like a popular vote, basically, essentially, across the state of Minnesota. And so that's when I first really saw all of the yard signs and saw all the slogans, like, you know, love is love and and say no to hate those kinds of those things. And I'm like, wow, they're really this is kind of who who's a fan of hate, right? And who isn't a fan of love? And and who isn't uh, moved by? The, the idea that what you're telling someone who experiences same-sex attraction is you are condemned to a life of loneliness. You're condemned to a life of, of suffering. You're condemned to a life of that, just less, less than, and not just less than, but painful. No one would want that. And so people who have, you know, people of goodwill, any person with a heart in their chest would say, I hate that. And so it just, it was the beginning of what I recognize as weaponized compassion. And I think this is this has really taken off um, in our culture right now, this weaponized compassion where you harness the minds and not minds really, as much as hearts of really, really good people who, yeah, they care about their fellow man. And they, yes, of course they, they care. And instead of of saying, okay, here's what actually is good for human beings and for human flourishing, we have these slogans. And that's, those slogans are like, you know, things like love is love. And if you're opposed to yeah. that, then you must be a bigot. You must hate. You must be a phobic in some way. Uh, in this yeah. case, homophobic. and And I thought, okay, there is a, a lot of messaging that is out there already uh, that says that Christians, and specifically Catholics, are people who hate uh, gay people, who, who, who would just as easily see them suffer than it was see them uh, alive and, and having full lives. And so I thought we really need to present this in a way that um, can cut through some of that. Now, that's just the culture. Not to mention the human beings, and that's a that's a big part of this. The whole book is, is is meant to be a a book that can actually that speaks to individuals, right? It Speaks to people, not just the culture in general. That really wants to. I really wanted to speak to people because these are people whose their own lives have been marked by this experience and that sense of like, okay, um, am I am I still loved? A- am I still wanted? Am I still good? And that's one of the reasons why we call the book what we called it. You know, no, you're made for love. There's this 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 truth here that is under attack by the lies that even come against somebody They can because they can say, here's what the church teaches about sex. Here's the church teaches about same-sex attraction, but here's my experience. Does that mean I'm disqualified from love? Does that mean I'm disqualified from having a home in the church? All those big questions, I think I really wanted to cut through um, the embarrassment, the shame that people who experience same-sex yeah. attraction can have. And then when it comes beyond that, the next level being people who, yes, I have, uh, men and women, family members who are, who experience same-sex attraction. Um, how do I love them? And so can, how do I explain this to people? And so I just wanted to have the kind of this maybe concentric circles, um, because we have to, I think we have to speak the truth in love because the truth without love is just a,
1: you know, battering around in so many ways. Yeah, that's right. And the, the, the subtitle of the book refers to same-sex attractions in the Catholic church, but the book you argue from or argue you, you demonstrate the church's teaching from first principles even before that you know you're talking about human sexuality in general and even before that you you talk about the nature of things there you call it the what it is-ness and the what it is forness before even getting into the realm of sexuality and why is it important to approach the topic from those kind of foundational principles
0: Right. I think, I think it's twofold. Uh, one, one of those reasons is because of the fact that, um, it, this is not a, I really, really always want to come back to this place of when we're talking about same sex attraction, we're not talking about us on the inside here and them on the outside there. It's, it's always us. Like this is a human issue. And the fact that the church has, has been consistent, I think and it's in, in my reading, the church has been consistent in saying, okay, The sexual act is for a certain purpose. Anytime we're directly using the sexual act opposed to that purpose or in a distorted way of that purpose, it's it's, it's always wrong. And so this isn't a matter of, oh, just for those who experience same-sex attraction, that they have to say no to certain parts of themselves. They have to say no to certain desires that they have. Like, no, this is every single one of us. We're all sexual beings. And every one of us kind of, for lack of a better term, play by the same rules in that, in that sense of the sexual act has to be open to procreation or else it's a distortion and a misuse of the sexual function. And so, so the first thing is to like to be broad about this. And it's not an us and them kind of a situation. Like the reason they can't do this thing over there is because of the, what it is. It's like, actually, no, the, the reason why we can't uh, use contraception is this The reason why masturbation is off the table is because of this. And so be, and so it's meant to actually unite us more than it is to divide us. And so that's the first, the first idea, the first kind of impulse behind that was this is not just for them, this is for us. That's the first thing. And then also to be able to speak to that and say, so if this is what your experience, you're one of us, <laughs> like because this is this is the human condition, right? There's there's no temptation that's come upon any individual that's not common to man and that re- recognition. The second is um, that the first principle is is really what converted my heart and converted my mind. Um, I remember I, I was I graduated my undergrad with a degree in theology, and I became I was going to daily mass. I was a missionary in, at at the Catholic mission in Central America, led by this Catholic religious community, working at the Catholic high school teaching religion. And I hated the Catholic Church. Like it was one of those kind of situations. I just say, and the reason why. Is because I remember if I go back and kind of trace things, some things back. Well, the reason why is because of my own pride. That's the one reason. But the other reasons, contributing factors, were I had the big question about contraception, and I remember no one could not no one could answer it, but no one did answer in a way that spoke to my intellect. And So I thought it was just this holdover from you know. I remember actually literally hearing uh, a monk a PhD you know saying like, uh, "No, this is just a uh, it's a holdover from August." Augusta in and, and how and how he just hated the body and so don't worry about it the church is going to change and then when i was as a, mission, a missionary here in central america there was a priest there and he one night was going to teach on Humane and i remember thinking i'm not going to go to that that's ridiculous in fact i know better than him then i thought you know what i am going to go there because i know better than him and i'm going to destroy him i'm going to blow him out of the water he's not going to possibly have he couldn't possibly have an argument that it would be convincing enough to me to change my mind. I got there. And he began with an argument from nature, essentially. And it's not the same one that I use in the in the, uh, in the the book, but that's where he started. And it just, as he unfolded this, it was kind of like, well, we all know this, right? Like, well, yeah. And we know this, right? Yeah. Well, therefore, and he just walked me through in the simplest of ways. Like, here is how we can see just by looking at the world that there is a nature of things and that nature has to be used in accord with this nature. And if we violate that, then we're in big trouble. I remember that was what would what, what really convince my mind to just look at more deeply. And, and so that's why I started in the book.
1: Yeah. And it's important to, it's important to kind of come at it from that angle too, because, because the, the culture tends to, cause people to immediately shut down an argument if it's coming from, you know, because God says so, or because the Bible says right. so people say, well, that's not good enough for me. You know? So yeah. when you can argue from that human nature kind of thing, it really opens, opens up the conversation.
0: You know, it's, and it's fascinating too, because there is a chapter on scripture and, and this teaching and, you know, it's it one of, one of the things I have found fascinating not in the happy way, but, but in the uh, <laughs> uh, disturbing, fascinating has been the number of, uh, Christians or people who were, you know, kind of self-proclaimed uh, Christian theologians or Christian scripture scholars or, or pastors or this kind of thing who um will either uh neuter the the words of scripture. So oh, it doesn't mean that, it means something else. Yeah. Or distort them so so fully that it's it's like, oh, this is this is not what they end up, what they end up teaching is not actual biblical worldview when it comes to human sexuality in general and homosexuality in, in particular.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, what the Bible says about it. As you say, is is something that's often, that's often uh, debated because it, right. there, there are clear words in scripture, but as you say, sometimes they say, well, that's not what it really meant or it was just right. a different time back then. And that kind of thing. Um, and of course um, I would imagine uh, because of, because of how, Ensconced in scripture you've been the last couple of years with the doing the Bible and your podcast and everything and working so closely with Jeff Cavins and everything. If you wrote the book today, there might be if the chapter would be longer, or there'd be multiple chapters on what scripture has to say about it. Right. Because there really is a wealth of it there. Yeah, I think I
0: really think that there is, you know, um, there there could be a number of uh, other books that are just simply devoted to uh sexuality in scripture and homosexuality in scripture that could be I think that would take someone who You know, sometimes as, as we both know, there are people who can, you know, kind of are contortionists when it comes to these kinds of topics. And there's an element of you made it say the opposite of what it said. Like, and, and so, and and you did this by appealing to the original Greek or to the original Hebrew or to the original whatever. And, and I have to say, well, let's pause. Um, I don't have the PhD that you'll listen to. And so I can have a chapter. Someone else is going to probably need to address all of the the minutiae the arguments, and people have it's just one of those situations where you know to get that it's it's such a small group of people I think who are willing to um engage at that level that it's it's uh so you just hear what you hear then is oh there's a christian who's who's for this because of they they've done extra research and and they've come to the conclusion that this is completely fine and we're just as you mentioned Paul we were we're just uh it's it's a it's a new age right now they didn't understand what we understand now and you're like i don't i don't think that's really the issue i don't i think something else is going on yeah
1: yeah um uh, so this being such a controversial topic um such a sensitive subject um what kind of reaction did you get when the when the book first came out and then since then has there been, has there been a lot of I don't, what's you know, what was the what was the reaction been
0: yeah no i th- i think uh, the, the primary reaction, I mean, there are some people who uh, have said I disagree, you know, and that's that's fine. I, I, For the most part, I would say that the people who, you know, I've had many people come up to me because in the book I, I talk about, you know, there there is going to be, and we're praying for um, the day when there is someone who it's known that they experience same-sex attraction and they were faithful to the Lord and faithful to the church and they're a canonized saint. Um, no, chances are relatively pretty good, just knowing human nature and knowing the long history of the church, maybe someone in our history, a canonized saint, that was their experience. We don't know because that wasn't in the forefront, like it is kind of now. Um, but that sense of being able to say, here's an example of someone who, who, this is their experience, had all the same fears, all the same worries, all the same anxieties and, and, and potentially even growing up experiences of shame because those are real those are really real um and at the same time was so convicted by jesus christ and his love and so convicted by the fact that no i'm called to follow him regardless that uh that there can be a a great witness and a testimony for all of those people who are like but if i say yes to jesus in this will i be destined to a life of loneliness if i say yes to jesus in this will i um okay i could be holy but i'm not gonna be happy (laughs) and um and I just can't wait for that. So I've had a number of people who have come up to me and said, Father, I want to be that first. I want to be that person. I want to be that saint that the church can say, Oh yeah, he or she, this is their experience. And uh, but they said yes to the Lord with their whole heart and and and, and Jesus won in their lives. That's that's been a, a really common response. Um, I've had a lot of responses from parents and siblings who say, My my son, my daughter, my my uh, you know, my sibling, this is their experience. And so um. Yeah. The book has helped at the same time. It's also made some things relatively clear in, in their lives about what they can do, and what they can't do when it comes to, um, you know, our, our world has become so confused in the sense that to love someone, it's almost automatically that means you're going to celebrate them and not just, and to celebrate them means you celebrate every one of their decisions. And we recognize that that's, that's never been the case in any relationship. If you love someone, you always agree with them. Um, and not just agree with them, but you celebrate every choice they make. That's never been a condition for relationships in the past, but for some crazy reason, um, some strange reason, that is what it seems like now in this particular issue. And so I think cutting through some of that has helped people. That's what some of the responses I've gotten.
1: Yeah. And that's a great point because so often the, you know, as, as you know, and as you talk about in the book, love is not just a feeling love is an act of the will. Right. And so, so often Loving someone means doing something something that they might not like, but it's what's best for right. them. You know, w- willing the good of the other doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to enjoy it. You know, <laughs> right. I, I tell my kids, you know, <laughs> say, um, you know, I tell my kids that kind of thing all the time that um, sometimes we, you, know, you have to get in trouble, or you have to, you know, uh, you have to pull the bandaid off, or you've got to get the medicine, or you've got to go to the doctor, or whatever it is. That's not always enjoyable, but sometimes it's what's best. You know, and that's in right. this and this. Context too. Um, sometimes people need to be told, even though you want it, it's not what's best for you. Yeah, and they don't always like to hear yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, none of us,
0: and, you, and that's why it's it's yes. a, a situation of like, and it's us, right? It's not us and them; it's, right. it's all us. Because <laughs> all of us, and that's and that's a big piece, and especially you know, I think there's something really important about um, I don't know how to say this. Not be condescending, obviously, and not that you were. I'm just saying, like, as we are approaching this, not, not be condescending, um, and to recognize that that, or to diminish someone's experience. That's one yeah. of the things that I, I've heard a lot. Is that, um, hopefully, the book communicates this. But, um, but yeah, that that sense of you you captured what it was like to grow up. You know, I mentioned that that reality that someone just you try to put yourself in their shoes and say, here's someone who this is part of their experience. They didn't want it, they didn't choose it, they just here's what I'm experiencing. And they're going to mass and and even if something is not even like mocked, it's not not even made fun of, but it's just going kind to of mention the question comes up like wait a second, is does the am I am I I know we're all sinners. Am I an exceptional sinner? Am I is there something extra broken in me as opposed to um I mean is there something in me that can't be fixed? And
1: know, yes.
0: And I I know that that that's an experience because I you know, I work uh, as I said with the youth of our diocese and other students on campus as well as I do youth conferences whenever, whenever they I get a chance to and yes. I will have students who will share and confide in, in me in, in some of those areas. and there's that situation of being able to say, okay, one of the things you need to know is you need to know that again you're made by love for love, you're made made by love from love and for love. Um, now that, let's define love, we're going to do that eventually but the first thing that's happening in your mind right now is you're hearing this promise of God's love for you. The next thing you're th- you might be tempted to think is, I'm disqualified. Like that, yeah, that, I, I want to believe that, but I'm disqualified. I'm, I'm beyond his love because I still experience this. I still feel this. And to be able to say, okay, let's walk. You know, I can only walk with so many people, but um, let's have like the church and others like walk with our brothers and sisters in all things. But in this one in particular, I don't mean to ramble about that, but I just, I, I think sometimes I want to think in the book too, I was like, I don't want to treat this like an issue because it's not an issue. This is for so many people. It's the, it's, it's the reason why there's a whole chapter on identity. Cause it's like, well, this is me. I'm like, ah, this isn't necessarily your identity. It is your experience, but I think yeah. you are more than your experience. And, um, but it's not also at the same time, it's not just another issue. It's a, uh, very close to the, close to the heart issue
1: yeah and that, that kind of goes to that kind of goes to the, the the heart of the matter that people tend to see their sexuality as their identity you know we don't we don't talk about our, our food preferences as our identity but our sexuality we have that inclination and that says so much about how fundamentally important it is and how it can't be treated cavalierly and we need to operate according to our nature in these and these important things
0: Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. It it cuts both ways. And yeah, we have to let it cut both ways. Like either this is so significant that people are tempted to consider it to be their identity or it's nothing. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) wait, it's so for for a a culture of promiscuity, it's nothing. But for a culture that says, um, like, I want to let this be my identity, then it's everything. And I think that the church has this really good balance. It's kind of like how, you know, to go back to, this might be a strange analogy, but um, how St. Francis of Assisi how he would say um, his body's brother ass that sense of like, okay, no, it's, it's me. It's in my brother. It's, it's, you know, it's part of me. It's what I have to deal with at the same time. It gets the work done. So, you know, there's, yes. there's a higher realm too here. So yes, my brother, my body is, but also kind of an ass. And so that sense of like, yeah. it's just here to do work, but there's this, I don't know if that analogy works, but <laughs> it's always came to me, but there's that sense of being able to say like, or, or, or what John Paul II had described when he talks about, uh, the entrance of shame after the fall, he said he thought about the entrance of shame and so the Adam and Eve cover themselves. Then he says that shame serves a secondary purpose. And the secondary purpose that shame, you know, first it wants us to hide and that's what it is. But shame, secondary purpose of shame is it actually honors the goodness of the person still because we still want to cover up because we realize there's something worth protecting here. And I think something similar is is. In, in this whole conversation is um that there's something something that is is worth treating in a sacred way uh when it comes to one's sex one's sexuality I guess for lack of a better phrase
1: yeah that's right and thankfully we have books like yours to help us figure out how to do that how to treat it in a sacred and some way.
0: others and some others through Ignatius i mean i i've've got almost I think I have a whole like bookshelf with just Ignatius those you know the the tab thing on this, on the side, you know, uh, That's right, yeah. uh, why don't I call myself gay? That's a really, really good one. A couple others yes.
1: that are up on my shelf too. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, so, so always keep an eye out for those Ignatius press titles, right? Including, including father Mike's, which, uh, of course you can get at Ignatius.com or I always tell people, to check out your local Catholic bookstore and support, support them how you can do. Well, father Mike, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Um, Hopefully we can do this again. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe one of these days we'll get you to write another book for us and we can do some more of these some more interviews if you have time. <laughs>
0: awesome. Yeah, I know. That's the that's challenge. But I'm really my grateful, time. Paul. Thank you so much. I, as I, I, I mean, as I said, I have a whole wall of books I started collecting ever since. I must have been in high school or college. Of Even, even though I was kind of being drifted away, there's Ignatius yeah. So they have my name on the little Ignatius tab on the side. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, dream come true. Check. Uh, bucket list amazing so if there could be another one that'd be awesome all
1: right well we'll see about that we'll we'll talk about that and maybe we can make it happen all right well thanks father mike and uh to all the listeners thanks for joining us and uh we'll see you next time this podcast has been brought to you by ignatius press
0: we encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold you can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at Ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it, and please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.